Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. Before we get started, I want to make sure you know about the Supported Living Property Network. If you need a property for supported living, if you have property that you want to lease to a supported living provider, or if you simply want to learn more about supported living property, then the network is here to help you. You can find out more in the show notes or by going to my website, www.lisabrown.uk. In this episode, Jackie Collier shares her experience of developing and letting property to housing associations. She and her husband, Steve, have been helping create homes for people experiencing and at risk of homelessness. She talks about the benefits and challenges of letting property in this way and shares some great advice for any property investors interested in letting their property to housing associations. Hi, Jackie. It's great to have you here today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And it's fab to be here. Thanks, Lisa. Oh, it's great. It's really, I'm looking forward to this. Um, So for people who don't know you, tell people... Tell people a little bit about you. Can't get my words out already. It's not a good start. <laughs> well, we started, I'm, I'm Jackie, um, Jackie Collier. Our company's there with property. So we're based just outside Bradford in Keithley. And it's pronounced Keithley, not Keeley, like everybody thinks. Um, so Steve, my husband and I started in property, did some training back in 2017. At the time, we wanted to get involved in doing some social housing, but didn't really know what to do, how to get in it. So I did lots of training around buy-to-lets, HMOs, the usual stuff. Steve was on voluntary redundancy, so we had a little bit of money, but not a lot to get started. So at the age we were, I mean, I was 56, I think, and Steve was 51. So we're definitely at the the longer in the tooth end, shall we say. <laughs> so it's a case of do it or you're stuffed, basically. <laughs> do you have that time pressure? Actually, we've got to get ourselves financially more stable. Is that what because, your driver was? If we didn't, you know, there's very few people who are going to look to employ people well into their 50s. So in terms of getting a job, if you didn't work out, you know, we would have limited options. I mean, at the time I had my own florist. So, yes, I was running a business, but damned hard work. And I got detached retina and this and that. And the world was saying, you kind of need to give up on this and do something different. And when you put it in perspective of how many bouquets you have to sell compared to a house, it's quite a big difference. (laughs) It's a lot of work that goes into floristry, isn't there? Absolutely. And to be honest, I never saw family. Mm. So at least doing property with Steve, we could spend time together and just really build our portfolio. And that that really was our focus. Not particularly to do um, sourcing at the time, although we, we have done it a bit. Um, not particularly to do any rent to rent kind of stuff. It was literally just to build our portfolio, largely for cash flow. So we had income, but also the capital growth. So that kind of acted towards our pension did all that um still had this social housing thing in the back of our mind but without knowing who to contact the thing I found it was like going to see the doctor getting a doctor's appointment all the receptionists were kind of like yeah I'll just take your details 
and nobody would get you past that sort of front desk. And I think part of that was down to any landlord who didn't want to spend money on the property and therefore couldn't get rent on it, thought, I know, I'll give it to social housing because they'll be grateful. And how far from the truth can you be? (laughs) It's a long way off. But that was the perception, particularly a few years ago. And I think people had got away with doing that for a while, hadn't they? So I do think that there was a whole load of really poor quality properties dumped into the social housing space by private landlords. And I think that's where part of the poor reputation comes from, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think then the receptionists, if you like, kind of got wary and were like, every landlord's like that. So we're not talking to anybody. And it kind of went completely the other way. So it took us a while to, to make connections and, and to get to know people. And we had quite a long chat with Christy Brown, who was fantastically helpful. Um, she kind of pointed us in the right direction and, and helped us understand what social housing meant. Because again, perception is it's DSS tenants, not necessarily looked after by a housing association it's just people on benefits and it's a bit like football hooligans everybody tars football supporters with the same brush that they're going to be hooligans probably less so now but I'm going back to like yeah yeah exactly oh you don't want that team coming because they're full of hooligans yeah yeah exactly and people have very very preconceived ideas and it's oh well they'll wreck your house they won't pay the rent It'll be awful. And and getting past that is really hard, not necessarily ourselves, but with other people. So when we we started working with housing associations, obviously you're one tier up. So you're still, when I say one tier up, I mean, you are working with the housing association, not the tenant directly. So that added kind of a layer of protection because... I mean, Bradford Council, which is one that we're with, did a tenant finder service where they would find you a tenant. It's a six-month AST. And, you know, the people that they were trying to get off the housing list. In reality, you had no protection. I mean, we didn't do it because you had no protection. Mm -hmm. It's a six-month AST. They can pay or they cannot pay. It's up to them because they're the ones paying. There was no cover for whether they damaged the property or not. So why use it? Because you're no better off than finding the tenants and vetting them yourself. It, it was just a bit. You're worse wonderful. off in some ways because you're not having any choice over your tenants. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I don't know if other councils do it the same, but that's kind of how it was working in Bradford. Whereas comparing that to a housing association where, okay, you don't have any any um, say in who comes in, but it is on a lease to the housing association, not on an AST. So you're on different rules, different regulations. They are paying the rent and it's guaranteed rent because it's government-backed income. If they don't pay the rent, then because it's a, effectively a company lease, you can stop the lease. It's not like you have to go through all the courts like you do with an AST. Obviously, you don't want to do that because you've got people living there and you don't want to make their life difficult. But you just have a bit more power in terms of making sure things happen. 
and they do like a, a full maintenance lease. So yes, you cover the structure, like if this slip slates on the roof or oil boiler, everything else is covered as part of the lease. So again, if somebody does damage things, because you can't always like say it's never going to happen. In wherever your tenants, whether they're private tenants, social tenants, whatever the tenants, yes, stuff does happen in properties. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But they fix it. So it worked really, really well. Kind of it ticked boxes for us in terms of getting into the social housing space and helping vulnerable people because it was people like um, domestic abuse. Um, I don't like to use the word victim, but survivors, survivors, um, people with some mental health issues, um, asylum seekers. There's a whole variety of, of people in need. And, and now even just people who have, fallen on hard times because the way the economy is they might have lost their job something's happened covid they've not got a job back whatever it may be through no fault of their own they can no longer afford the outgoings that they had and need help so you know it could be me it could be you it could could be be any of us exactly exactly so that preconceived idea is so far from the truth mm-hmm. but so, so you're helping people but also from a commercial business sense it actually works really well mm. because the rent's guaranteed depending on who you work with it might be LHA rate it might be more obviously you, you've got to make sure it's not so much more they're putting themselves in financial Absolutely. difficulty yeah so you've got to be careful but you know, the, the rent is equivalent usually. You haven't got any letting fees for agents. You haven't got any management fees, uh, uh, maintenance fees. You haven't got any situation really where you're getting a phone call saying, oh, this has gone wrong. Can I repair it or whatever? Really, five years, we'll have another conversation. So from a cash flow, cash flow point of view, it works really well from the um, social point of view. It works really well from a time point of view. It works really well. And time I mean, is so precious, isn't it? You know. Totally. And people don't always factor that into their costs. No. Yeah. It's a bit like when builders are doing a refurb, they can do it so much cheaper because they get all the, the materials at cost and they don't have any labor because they don't factor in. How much time I spend in doing that and not earning money elsewhere? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for us, it really it, it was a no-brainer. Mm. What's not to love? <laughs> and and you guys have been doing this now for a, for a little while, haven't you? So you've kind of have seen you've seen it through a bit in the way that there's a, a lot of people coming into the space who are shy and you know, talk. Oh, it's really exciting and new, but you guys have actually sort of lived it and and seen how that's working, and um, you know what is it that you're what kind of properties is it that are needed because I think people have a preconception of the kind of properties that are needed in this space what what are the properties that you're handing over to the housing associations you work with again preconceived ideas it's homeless people living in an HMO Mm. that's immediately what people go to 
we don't touch HMOs at all. I've never wanted to do HMOs. I still don't want to do HMOs. No, absolutely not. So we are doing two, three, four bed houses that are single family lets. It's the families that are in desperate need. We have the odd one bed flat that we work with um, a local charity, homeless charity, that they take that. But the main focus is two, three, four bed houses, four families. And yeah, when you think that the amount of homeless, and I don't mean living on the streets, but the sofa surfing, the temporary accommodation, all that kind of side of things, how many people are literally in some version of temporary accommodation? And more often than not, that is a bedsit, a hotel room, a B&B. If you've got a family in one room, that is really, really not good for their physical health or their mental health. No. So that, if you're going to be per- mercenary about it, from, again, an economic point of view, that kicks down the line how much health care people are going to need that costs money. Oh, completely. The impact of poor housing is, is hugely significant, is it, on health, on physical and mental health, but also the impact on, say, the teenagers and, and kids and they're not being able to access school, they're not able to do homework because they've got a toddler climbing all over there. They've not got a desk to sit and do their work on. You know, yeah. it's, yeah, it has such it impact. It's just not it? a way for kids to grow up. No. It's no. not a way for adults to live either. No. But, you know, it's, it's the kids are particularly kind of, get to your heartstrings yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah and economically if you think I mean obviously we're in Bradford which is a long way off the lights of the southeast in terms of monetary value but if you compare the the, uh, the council are probably paying about 100 pound a night for these rooms you know 700 pound a week compared to less than 700 pound a month with social housing for a much better property that's going to meet their family's needs much better yeah yeah they can have their own space you know we furnish all the properties so they don't have to worry about any of that the housing association we're working with at the moment care about the tenants and that again is very much why we're working with them because different housing associations have what i class as different levels of um Human kindness, is that right? <laughs> it's how you weigh how you weigh up the the money that they get in to the um the, the care. And I don't I don't mean necessarily the social care, but but just the the care that people are living in a decent environment. Yeah. And the ones we work with now are lovely. I mean, Christmas time. They went round to all the houses that had kids and took them like little Christmas bags of sweets and things. Mm. It's not massive, but it's such a nice gesture that helps the kids settle in and feel that they've got something, you know, and sometimes they'll buy them like a teddy bear when they're moving in if they've got nothing. And Mm. that to me is really what it's about. Mm. It's not about just give me the money, give me the money, Mm. because there's perhaps a higher rate that they're getting 
because of the involvement that they have to have in terms of making sure the family are happy and everything. So, yeah, if it only comes down to the money, it's never going to be a win. No. For anyone. It really isn't, you know, that the houses need to be warm, safe, comfortable. And people can live there and feel like it's their home. Yeah. Not... It, it, it's got mold or it's dirty. Well, obviously, you know, started off dirty, but yeah. things coming off the wall or the wallpaper peeling or that, that's no way for people to live. No, Not and certainly, I mean, anyone only needs to look at your Instagram feed to see the quality of the properties that you guys are turning out. You know, they're good quality, safe family homes, aren't they really, is what, what you're providing. Is there anything different about the properties that your the housing associations are looking for when you're working with them or are they just the standard what you would do for private rental tenants as well? Yeah, just well, the over and above are things like um you need fire doors on the kitchen, mm-hmm. fire door on the living room, so on the risk room. So it's not like an HMO where you need them on every bedroom, but you do need them on the risk rooms. You need to have those kind of risk rooms with some fireboarding. So you've got the fire protection. Mm-hmm. You've got your interlinked um, heat and smoke detectors, depending on the house, because a lot around us are three, four stories even. Mm. Again, we would always put an escape window on the first floor just to make sure nobody wants anybody dying on their watch. No, no. And just to make sure that it's safe. And a lot of it's logic. Mm. A lot of it is logic. And of course, we furnish them as well. Mm-hmm. so that again we provide I mean for all properties you would put in obviously oven and hob or a mm-hmm. cooker or whatever but on top of that a fridge freezer a washer dryer a microwave a kettle and then normal furniture like um three-piece suite depending on how many people it's it's um housing mm-hmm. dining furniture so they've got somewhere to eat beds bedside tables um drawers wardrobes so like you would do for a house you were living in and with that under the lease do they then take over the maintenance of that washer drive there's a problem with it you're not yeah. expected to then be maintaining no. that no and when you put it in new anyway you've usually got a manufacturer's warranty mm. to start with mm. but yeah they take responsibility for all of it at the end of the lease they give the house back in pretty much the condition you've handed it over give or take a bit of wear and tear to be mm. fair but if the furniture needs replacing they replace the furniture so you get that but to be honest the demand is so high why are they ever going to hand it back mm. you know if you want it back that's fine mm. so the, the um, association we work with have a break clause so they could give us notice or we can give them notice like three months notice mm. And that helps with mortgageability. Mm. So some housing associations don't have a break clause, don't have a rent review. Whereas with us, they have a break clause and they review the rent in line with LHA rates. Mm -hmm. So as the LHA rates go up, the rent goes up. But that, that, I say, helps with mortgageability because one of my biggest bugbears is the whole mortgage industry and this is why I'm going to upset them all. 
No, no, it's fine. I, I think what you're about to say is what I say on a regular basis, Jackie. Yeah. So go for it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm in talks with our MP on mm. some of this because it's just bonkers. The fact that mortgage lenders don't like lending if you have social housing tenants. Mm. It's like, but it's so much safer. You know, if you've got a private tenant, they could lose their job tomorrow. They can decide to just stop paying the rent and it takes you forever to get your money back mm -hmm. or to evict them. And you've still got to try and still pay the mortgage compared to we've got five years guaranteed rent, mm -hmm. government backed. Who's going to not pay? Yeah. And what you need to do is the due diligence on me as a landlord that I am going to pay and I'm the sort of person who's not going to stop paying, not on the facts that it's got vulnerable people in because you're only ever going to have to evict them if mm -hmm. I stop paying. So do your due diligence on me, not on them. Yeah. You know, and the fact that there's a minimal number of lenders who will lend and they charge higher interest rates for doing it, it's just bonkers it's so frustrating and if you have an element when you then go to regulated care if, you, if someone's got care in the property round the clock then it, it makes it even harder again to get mortgages and it's just like but actually you've got support team in there making sure that property's okay so actually if it was my money and i was a bank i'd much rather lend it to that house than say a property where there's very minimal support going in and someone's only there for an hour a week who's where's the property can be better maintained illogical no sense. so illogical on so many levels like we said earlier it's illogical with the council putting people in temporary accommodation over and above but i mean they can't get enough houses which is no. part of it it's illogical on mortgage lenders how they view it insurance brokers just the same yeah. i mean it's just more money mm. it's still worth doing it from a commercial point of view mm. but it's just frustrating because you have a limited number of people that you can actually access to provide the mortgage or to provide the insurance and mm. such like. And I mean, we had one, we, we refinanced, it actually was in my name rather than the company, we refinanced. We'd never refinanced it for a whole variety of reasons I won't bore you with, but it's down to lenders. Um, <laughs> so we finally, the, the fixed term had finished, so the tenant we'd had from day one, who was a private tenant, actually moved out. We handed it over to social housing and we refinanced it onto um, a new mortgage. I cannot explain why, but they valued it probably 15 grand less than all the comps in the area. And they valued the rental income a hundred pound a month less than the lease we got already signed and in place for the next five years just make no logic to it at all <laughs> whatsoever and it just flabbergasts me mm. how difficult they're making it because you know in reality and people say why should landlords have you know have to help social housing the reality is there is nowhere near enough funding or availability or, or capacity in terms of properties 
for the government or councils to do it themselves. No, we've got such demand, haven't we? Like down here where I am, down in Devon, we've got so, you know, so many landlords are selling up at the moment, putting properties across to Airbnb. We've got so few private rental properties available. I mean, and if you have, you know, social housing, it's even harder. So we've got a huge crisis. Like there is all over the country, I know, but it's sort of amplified down here. And yeah, you know, we need to be doing stuff about it. We've got landlords who can do that. We've got property investors who can make this difference and have this real impact. We need a bit of help from the mortgage companies. And I mean, it almost like there needs to be some government incentive as opposed to the blockages. Now, I don't mean that the government particularly blocking it, mm. but they're actively encouraging it. Mm. And if you think, you know, empty houses, it's another thing that could easily be turned into homes to help all these families. Yet here, and I know, again, every council's different. Here, once the property has been empty two years, you pay double council tax. It doesn't reset when you buy the property. Because, oh. you know, if it's five years, you pay triple council tax. Yeah, these are properties that we could buy we could do them up and put somebody in so they've got a home. Yeah. Yeah. It makes the, the economy or economics of doing that much harder when you've got to factor in so much more council tax mm-hmm. in their holding period. So that doesn't help. Yeah. They don't, knowing what we do, we can't be given or we can't be seen to be given preferential treatment to know that they're going to sell something. So they stick it on the open auction. Anybody can buy it. And in reality, what happens is somebody in London sees a property that's available for 50 or 60 grand up here and they go, oh my God, it's a bargain. Buy it. It still sits empty for ages because they don't have a refurb team up here to be able to do it. The chances of going across to social housing are even less. Again, where where no. is the logic no. but compare that to wales in wales they have um i think they call it a house to home grant or something so if the property's been empty for a number of years or a period the government actually will give the investor an interest free 25 grand loan or up to 25 grand loan to do the refurb on it sensible makes so much more sense yeah. and that is something that really could do with being rolled out nationwide mm-hmm. it would help so much so oh, jackie, much. jackie for prime minister there we go <laughs> 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 we'll get it all sorted that'll be great <laughs> I'll, ju- I'll just do for housing minister for now <laughs> okay that'll do yeah we'll take that <laughs> to be fair our rmp is really really good he's so on board with stuff mm-hmm. and very very active He's always up in Parliament talking about stuff. Mm. And we had a really good meeting with him at the beginning of April. Mm. Did like this long report. Like, I don't know if you can see, did like yeah, this great yeah. report on, you know, all of the, the mortgages, the empty mm-hmm. homes, all of these things. So he's taking it down to the housing committee. Great. So he's kind of presenting it to the housing committee. Just to kind of hear it from a, a landlord's perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him, like, if you want us to go down, I will jump on a train tomorrow. I am more than happy to mm. come in and give them firsthand yeah. our views mm. on, on how, how this 
doesn't yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> Fingers oh, crossed. No, that's pretty, I mean, the, the other thing that's interesting about the way that you guys have done things is you've managed to kind of scale this and keep working with the housing associations and kind of on a, almost a rinse and repeat kind of model, haven't you? How have you done that? What What would you say? Any advice around that or anything that you found? At the moment, they're going, can you slow down? <laughs> so, as I said before, obviously, part of building our portfolio has always been a big part for us. So we work an awful lot with private investors who lend to our business. We give them the, the higher return on the money and then refinance. And the refinance bit, again, is another reason for doing the houses up so nicely because you're effectively selling your house to the bank. So if they come in and the house looks mega, the value are just, just by sense values it a bit higher. Mm. So, so that's the reason for doing that. So we've managed to get a lot of private investors that have helped us do that. We've got a lot of direct-to-vendor out there. So again, people coming to us, buying off landlords, um, mainly landlords who haven't wanted to spend the money on improving the properties themselves, got out to them. And then the other thing that we're doing now is trying to work with landlords who want to hold the asset, but don't want the aggravation of private tenants. So with kind of a rent to rent situation, but we're sitting in the middle. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be their point of contact. It makes it easier for the housing association because everything goes through us. Mm. But if we can get more landlords on board, we've got those two, three, four bed houses at the moment, mainly Bradford, Wakefield and Leagues. But that's growing all the time. Trying to get those landlords to work with us. They then keep the asset, they get the rent, but they have a pretty passive time compared to perhaps how they have been working with it. You know, particularly landlords, old school landlords that manage themselves. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of time involved in self-management of properties. And it's got more, more, more and more complicated, hasn't it, all the legislation to understand totally. it all. Yeah, totally. And financially more difficult because obviously all the legislation to do with that so I mean that's not particularly gonna ease but at least if they're not putting the time into having to manage it it makes it better so you're, um, you're taking it on from those um landlords and then you're leasing it to your housing association yeah yeah so we work with the landlords in terms of what needs to be done to the property they sort that out and then we literally, like I say, sit in the middle. We make sure it meets the spec that the housing association need. We make sure that the money's coming through and they're getting paid, which it does anyway. But if there is any little sort of issues, particularly at the start where people aren't certain, they can ask us and it takes a bit of the weight off the housing association mm -hmm. in terms of having to deal with 20 landlords when they can do it with us. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, it's just a way of trying to get more stock into the housing or the social housing system mm. so um so yeah that's kind of something that we're really working on this year mm. so, uh, i think it's, it's really interesting and I, I know there's quite a lot of people looking to try and get into sort of rent to rent to supported living rent to rent to social housing and it's tricky to get right and i think the thing that's good about you guys is that you've got that track record already you've got that established relationship with the providers but you've also got your track record of managing properties and you know all of that so that sets you ahead of someone else doesn't it so I think that to do something or get somebody else to do something we haven't done so mm -hmm. we totally believe in it we're doing it it's our main strategy 
we're just trying to help other people benefit from it all round. Mm. But the biggest obstacle is what we said at the start. It's that perception. Well, why would I hand my house over to social housing for it to be wrecked? It isn't going to be wrecked. (laughs) (laughs) It is going to come back to you in the way that you have handed it over. It's going to be looked after. Just because it's social housing doesn't mean to say that people are going to smash it up. People are happy and grateful for a nice, warm, comfortable home. Yeah. Yeah. That is what you're giving. And that's what you expect of your private tenants. There's no reason to expect anything different from your social housing tenant. The difference is you're going to get paid your rent and you're not going to have voids. You have got more consistent income with less input from yourself. That's what we're trying to get over, over to people. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know, it's... That's the biggest challenge, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And finding the providers to work with. You know, obviously you've got those relationships now, but it takes time to build those relationships, doesn't it, at the beginning? Very much. And it is talking to a lot of people and, and getting to the right people. And for me, I found the best way of doing it was actually to go through something like LinkedIn mm. and search for housing associations, search for the property managers within those housing associations and just set up a Zoom or go and meet them for a coffee and understand what they want. Because again, going back to this preconception, people think every housing association wants something and works one way. And they all want different things and they all work different ways and they all have different criteria and requirements. And like from the supported living level, obviously you've got a higher requirement than you've got for what I call normal social housing, which is probably a higher requirement than if you've got DSS tenants on a straight AST. But don't just find a house and then find a housing association to hand it over to because if you haven't got the right property in the right area with the right criteria it might not work you need to understand what they want what they're looking for and financially what they pay how they pay and how that works Mm. and you need to make sure you can refinance it absolutely I mean you know and it's understanding how to work and how to work together as you know that's what I'm passionate that's what we do in the the supporting property network which I know you're part of as well you know but it's about bringing people together isn't it so actually you can understand and a lot of the providers have fed back what they found about it is actually they've enjoyed understanding it from the property investors perspective because they hadn't thought about some of the challenges like you're talking about mortgages some of them just hadn't realized that was an issue and that was a barrier and they're like well why you know why is this happening and it's a complicated space to get right isn't it in and I think we need better communications people talking together to do that you know I think that's really key yeah it's very chicken and egg very chicken and egg and people really struggle with bringing it all together and it is like you say it's just about communication and talking to people see who you've got rapport with and who you can work with and then how you can help each other. That's literally what it's down to. I mean, the housing association we work with, love them to bits. They're just amazing. <laughs> well, I had a coffee with them last week and it was like, 
oh, I've, I've been telling people about you and I, I keep saying Jackie this and Jackie that. So, so now I've got to introduce you so you can help them get some property. <laughs> but that's great because it is. It's helping the whole sector improve and move forward. And the more we can get people on board, the more people that can do it. You know, it's not a case of all I'm doing it, so I'm not telling anybody else. Dear God, there's plenty, plenty demand for everybody to be able to do it. Yeah. 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 Too much demand, sadly. There is, and I think it's only going to get worse, isn't it? So, yeah. Oh, Very Jackie, nice. thank you so much. It's been so useful. You've shared lots of really great That's information. Um, I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll put your contact details in the show notes so if people want to get a hold of you there. We'll pop those all there so people can find you. So, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening. If you found this useful, then please do click the subscribe button and leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please consider telling someone else about it? Sharing the podcast really helps increase the reach of the show and I would be super grateful. Thank you.